decays in spiritual affections with the causes and dangers of them. Advice to them who are sensible of the evil of spiritual decay. It must be acknowledged that there is yet that which is worse than what we have yet insisted on and more opposite to the growth of affections and conformity to heavenly things, which is a proper character of those that are spiritually renewed. And this is there. Spiritual decay manifesting itself in sensible and visible effects. Some there are, yea many, who upon the beginning of a profession of their conversion to God have made a great appearance of vigorous active spiritual affections. Eh, it is so with most. It may be all who are really so converted. God takes notice of the love of the youth and his people. In some, this vigorous spiritual affections is from the real power of grace, exerting its efficacy on their hearts and in their minds. In others, it is from other causes, as, for instance, relief from conviction of sin, spiritual illumination, that will produce this effect. And it falls out to the advantage of such persons that generally a change has worked in their younger days. For then their affections and their natural powers are active and bear great sway in the whole soul. Therefore, the change that is made is most imminent in them, be it what it will. But as men increase in age, and thereon grow up in carnal wisdom and great value of earthly things, with their care about them, and converse in them, they abate and decay in their spiritual affections every day. They will abide in their profession, but have lost their first love. It is a shame and folly unutterable that it should be so with any who make profession of that religion, in which there are so many incomparable excellencies to endear and engage them to it more and more. But why should we hide what experience makes manifest in the sight of the sun, and what multitudes proclaim concerning themselves? Therefore, I look upon it as a great evidence, if not absolutely of the sincerity of grace, yet of the life and growth of it, when men, as they grow up in age, grow in an undervaluation of present things and contempt of the world, in duties of charity and bounty, and do not decay in any of them. But I say it is usual that the entrances of men's profession of religion and conversion to God are attended with vigorous, active affections towards spiritual things. Of them who really and sincerely believed, it is said that on their believing they rejoiced, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And of those who only had a work of conviction on them, or they improved, their temporary faith, that they received the word with joy and did many things gladly. In this state do many abide and thrive until their affections be wholly transformed into the image and likeness of things above. But with many of all sorts it is not so. They fall into woeful decays as to their affections about spiritual things and consequently in their whole profession and conversation their moisture becomes as a drought in summer. They have no experience of the life and actings of them in themselves, nor any comfort or refreshment from them. They do not honor the gospel with any fruits of love, zeal, or delight, nor useful any way to others by their example. 
Some of them have had seeming recoveries and are yet again taken into a lifeless frame. Warnings. Afflictions. Sicknesses. The Word. Have awakened them, but they are fallen again into a dead sleep, so as that they seem to be trees without fruit. Withering. Without fruit. Twice dead. Plucked up by the roots. Some things must be spoken to this woeful condition in general, is that which is directly opposite to the grace and duty of being spiritually minded, and contrary to and obstructive of the growth of spiritual affections in an assimilation to heavenly things, and what shall be spoken may be applied to all the degrees of these decays, though all of them are not alike, dangerous or perilous. Number one, there may be a time of temptation in which a soul may apprehend in itself not only a decay in, but an utter loss of all spiritual affections, when it is not so. As believers may apprehend and judge that the Lord has forsaken and forgotten them when he has not done so, Isaiah 49, verses 14 and 15, so they may under their temptations apprehend that they have forsaken God when they have not done so. As a man in the night may apprehend he has lost his way and be in great distress when he is in his proper road. For temptation brings darkness and amazement and leads into mistakes and a false judgment in all things. They do not find it may be grace working in love, joy, and delight, as formerly, nor that activity of heart and mind in holy duties which spiritual affections gave to them. But yet, it may be, the same grace works in godly sorrow by mourning, humiliation, and self-abasement, no less effectually, nor less acceptably to God. Such as these I separate from the present consideration. Number two, there may be a decay in affections themselves as to their actings towards any objects, whatever, at least as to the outward symptoms and effects of them. And on this ground, their operations towards spiritual things may be less sensible. So men in their younger days may be more ready to express their sorrow by tears, and their joy by sensible exaltation and motion of their spirits, than in riper years. And yet, this may be so when there is no decay of grace and the affections is renewed. But, when it is so, it is a burden to them and whom it is, they cannot but mourn and have a godly jealousy over themselves, lest the decays they find should not be in the outward, but in the inward man, not in the natural, but the spiritual man. And they will labor that in all duties and at all times that may be with them as in days of old, although they cannot attain that strength in them, that vigor of spirit, that life, joy, peace, and comfort which many have had experience of, there will be in such persons no decays in holiness of life, or as to diligence in all religious duties. If the decay be really of grace in the affections, it will be accompanied with a proportionable decay in all other things in which a life of God is concerned. But if it be only as to the sensible actings of natural affections, no such decay will ensue. Grace will in this case more vigorously act itself in the other faculties and powers of the soul. It's a judgment in the will, 
in their approval of and firm adherence to spiritual things. But when men find, or may find, their affections yet, quick, active, and intent on other things, as the lawful enjoyments and comforts of this life, it is in vain for them to relieve themselves, that the decays they find are in their affections as natural and not as they ought to be gracious. If we see a man in his old age grow more in love with the things of this world, and less in love with the things of God, it is not through the weakness of nature, but through the strength of sin. On these, it may be some other delike occasions, there may be an apprehension of a decay in spiritual affections, when it may not be so, at least not to the degree that is apprehended. But when it is so really, as it is evidently with many, I'd almost said with the most in these days, it is a woeful frame of heart, and never enough to be lamented. It is that which lies in direct contradiction to that spiritual mindedness which is life and peace. It is a consumption of the soul which threatens it with death every day. It belongs not to my design to treat of it in particular, yet I cannot let it pass without some remarks on it. It being an evil almost epidemical among professors, and prevalent in some to such a degree as that they seem to be utterly forsaken of all powers of spiritual life. Now besides all that folly and sin which we before discovered as the causes of the lack of the growth of our affections and spirituality and heavenliness, which in this case of their decay are more abominable, there is a multiplication of evils in which this state of heart and mind is accompanied. For first, it is that which of all things the Lord Christ is most displeased with in churches or professors. He pities them in their temptations. He suffers with them in their persecutions. He intercedes for them on their surprises into sin, but threatens them under their spiritual decays. Revelation 2 verse 4, 5. Revelation 3 verses 1 to 3. Yes, he cannot bear with is that which both reflects dishonor on himself, and which he knows to be ruinous to those in whom it is, he will longer bear with them who are utterly dead than with those who abide under these spiritual decays. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. This is the only case in which he threatens to reject and cast off a professing church, to take away his candlestick from it, unless it be that of false worship and idolatry. He thus speaks us to the churches of old, speaks now the same to us, for he lives forever, and is always the same, and his word is living and unchangeable. There is not one of us who are under this frame, but the Lord Christ, by his word and spirit, testifies his displeasure against us. And if he be against us, who shall plead for us? Consider what he says in this case in Revelations 2 verse 5. In 3, verse 3, Oh, who can stand before these dreadful intimations of his displeasure? The Lord help us to mind it. The Lord help us to mind this, lest he, in whom we profess to place our only trust, be found instead our greatest enemy. 
He keyed of such sins as Christ himself, our only advocate, has put a mark upon it, those which he will not save us in. It is that in which, above all things, the Holy Spirit is grieved. His work it is to give grace, an increase and progress in our souls. He begins it, and he carries it on. And there can be no greater grief to a wise and gracious worker than to have its work decay and go backward under his hand. This is the occasion of those complaints of God which we find in the scripture, of the unprofitableness and backsliding of men after the use of means and remedies for their fruitfulness and cure. What, saith he, could I have done more for my vineyard than I have done? Why then, when I looked for grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Can anything be apprehended to be such a just manner of grief and complaint to the Holy Spirit as to see and find those whom he had once raised up to holy and heavenly affections, so as that their delights were in and their thoughts much upon the things that are above, and they have become earthly or sensual, to have no sensible actings of any of his graces in them, which is the state of them who are under the power of spiritual decay. And this is the only case in which God speaks to men in a way of complaint, in expostulation, and uses all sorts of arguments to convince them of their folly in this. When a wise, tender, and careful parent, who has been diligent in the use of all means for the education of his child, and he has for some time given good hopes of himself, but he finds him to slacken in his diligence, to be careless in his calling, to delight in evil company. How solicitous is his heart about him? How much is he grieved and affected with his miscarriage? The heart of the Spirit of God is infinitely more tender towards us than that of the most affectionate parent can be towards an only child. And when he is with cost and care nourished and brought us up, to some growth and progress in spiritual affections, in which all of its concerns in us lie for us to grow cold, dull, earthly-minded, to cleave to the pleasures or loves of this world. How is he grieved? How is he provoked? It may be this consideration of grieving the Holy Spirit is of no great with some. They should have little concern in this if they could well free themselves in other respects. But let such persons know. It is impossible for them to give a greater evidence of a profligate hardness in sin. This is that which in an especial manner provokes the judgments of God against any church, as was intimated before, when in the order of profession and worship any church has a name to live, but as to the power of grace acting in the affections is dead, when it is not so cold as to forsake the external institutions of worship, nor so hot as to enliven their duties with spiritual affections. The Lord Christ will not long bear with them. Yea, judgment will suddenly break out towards such a house of God. It is absolutely inconsistent with all comfortable assurance of the love of God. Whatever persons under the power of such a frame pretend to of that kind, it is sinful, carnal, security, not gracious assurance, or spiritual peace. 
and constantly as professors grow cold and decay in their spiritual affections, the pity of conscience and security of mind grow also on them. It is so, I say, unless they are sometimes surprised or overtaken with some great sin, which reflects severely on their consciences and casts them for a time under trouble and distresses. But the peace with God and a comfortable assurance of salvation should be consistent with habitual spiritual decay and grace, especially in those graces which enact themselves in our affections. It's contrary to the whole tenor and testimony of the scripture, and the supposition of it would be the bane and poison of religion. I do not say that our assurance and peace with God arise wholly from the actings of grace in us. There are other causes of them, whereunto they are principally resolved. But I say this much. Under an habitual declension or decay of grace and the spirituality of our affections, no man can keep or maintain a gracious sense of the love of God or of peace with him. And therefore there is no duty more severely to be pressed on all at this day than a diligent examination and trial of the grounds of their spiritual peace, lest it should be with any of them, as it was with the church, Laodicea, who was satisfied in her good state and condition when it was most miserable and almost desperate. Yea, I must say that it is impossible that many professors whom we see and converse with should have any solid peace with God. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? It is a fruit that will not grow on a vain, earthly, selfish frame of mind and conversation. And therefore such persons, whatever they pretend, are either asleep in a sinful, carnal security or live on most uncertain hopes, which probably may deceive them. Nothing can be so ruinous to our profession as once to suppose it is an easy matter, a thing of course, to maintain our peace with God. God forbid but that our utmost diligence and continued endeavors to thrive and every grace should be required to this end. The whole beauty and glory of our religion depends upon this. To be spiritually minded is life and peace.